today's podcast, I am privileged to have Mr. Steve Turney. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Steve and I connected over LinkedIn, and let me tell you a little bit about him and why I'm having him on the podcast today. Steve Turney is a connector and a content creator. Professionally, Steve runs the Mental Health Marketing Conference. This two-day event educates mental health professionals and organizations about consumer marketing so they can reach more people more effectively. Steve also works for a company that cares for vulnerable at-risk patients by sending nurses and other healthcare workers into their, into their homes. Steve has worked across a range of verticals, including the complex healthcare industry and within full-service marketing agencies, SaaS-based startups, and the leading press release distribution firm in the country. I'm excited about this conversation. So, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Bob, it's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Where is the human voice coming from today? Where are you located? Today, I'm in Bowling Green, Kentucky, just north of Nashville, about an hour. My wife have my wife and I moved here from the West Coast about 15 years ago. Mm. So, did you grow up in the West Coast, California, or? Yes, I did. I grew up in Northern California and Southern California, which can feel like two different states sometimes. But uh, and we were just back there actually this last week. I, I got in late last night and uh, excited to be home and. Also, there's something fun about going back, visiting friends and family, and uh, seeing our old stomping grounds and our old haunts, and uh, and then taking our daughter out too this time. This was her first flight and her first uh, adventure out to the West Coast, so it was it was great for everybody. That's great. So you've been in um, Bowling Green, Kentucky, which for our listeners, if you don't know where that is, that's just north of Nashville, about what an hour is that. Safe to say? It's about an hour. Yeah. And my wife and I have been in healthcare and uh, I've worked in marketing firms in Nashville. So Nashville is really where we we play and work quite a bit. Uh, we both, she and I work virtually now. Um, so working out of our home offices. Um, but Nashville is a dear town to us. We've seen it, um, I'd say, just kind of hit a next level in the in the last decade, especially with mm. some of the exciting restaurants and and infrastructure and things that are are being attracted to that to that city. It's sort of, you know, the Pareto's principle is you start to see Nashville continue to snowball with uh, more and bigger projects and 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 things to do. And so it's a lot of fun. Um, but it it always comes back to the people for us. And we've found that Nashville still, at the heart of it, hasn't lost that um, that community feel. I wouldn't quite call it a small town feel. People used to say Nashville was a big city with a small town vibe. And uh, you can still definitely find uh, a little bit of that. But I think the heart of the people and um, the entrepreneurial people, it's, there's an entrepreneurial culture. I think the music scene and uh, the university scene helps to keep things uh, really alive. And and then just the diversity of how Nashville pulls from uh, both coasts and north and south. Uh, I think you're from Florida, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm from South Florida and been here in Nashville for 20 plus years. But I would agree with you on that. It's, uh, it's a great place to live, a great place to do business, a great place to network. Certainly a lot of interesting people. And we've had 
tremendous growth and migration from the West Coast over the past year and a half and Northeast as well. So it's rapidly changing. So speaking of migration, before we jump into the, some of the things you're doing, which are, which, are, which are pretty exciting and very interesting to me, I would love to hear about your upbringing and you know, what it was like for you coming up and how your journey led you to to the the type of work you're doing now and um, how you ended up in, in Bowling Green slash Nashville. So, so did you have siblings growing up? Did you always live in on the West coast? Yeah. So um, cut me off if I ramble, that's uh, I'm I'm getting on in years. So that's a longer and longer story. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I grew up, um, yeah, Northern California, rural kind of cow town, and I was the youngest of four kids. And I think that's an important dynamic to point out. Um, and we kind of fall into some real, some kind of traditional fourth children uh, archetypes. So my oldest brother sort of made the rules. And then my next sister broke all the rules. And then my next sister uh, followed all the rules uh, religiously. And then me, I, I sort of, you know, came out into the world and my parents uh, said, uh, we, we don't know, we haven't figured out the secret sauce to parenting. So uh, sort of the rules don't apply to me is how the people, <laughs> I think my family would talk about me. Um, but, you know, my, my dad was a, a rural community pastor in Northern California uh, when we moved to Southern California to care for some uh, grandparents that were in our life, we uh, he switched to being a teacher, a middle school teacher. And I think that's a, a wonderful transition for him late in life that really aligns with his uh, strengths. And uh, even he picked me up from the airport last night. And I've been asking everybody this question lately. And I keep asking it because it's just continued to create this rich dialogue, which is, what is your superpower? And my dad's superpower, he said last night, is uh, the ability to work with children who are sort of underperforming in school, or maybe, you know, they've been given some messaging that they're not, they're not smart enough. And, and that was certainly the messaging he said he got when he was a kid. Uh, you know, his mom would say, you don't have to be, you don't have to be great at school, but you have to be good. Um, and that can be a really limiting mindset. And so what he's great at is uh, working with those kids and increasing their growth mindset. Um, he didn't call it growth mindset, but there's a book called Mindset that I'm uh, actually currently most of the way through. And I, when he told me his superpower, I thought, yeah, this is exactly you. You take kids who have a fixed mindset, which means Uh, Basically, the intelligence and the gifts they have are the gifts they're going to have the rest of their life. It doesn't really uh, get too impacted by growth and and turn those those mindsets into a growth mindset where they say, yes, if I if I attack and, and, and tackle slightly larger and larger challenges and I don't back down from these challenges, intellectually, then I will grow over time and uh, the impacts from those studies in that book and and the impacts in my in my dad's classrooms have been um, tremendous. He's just a wonderful teacher because of that. He's using his his superpower. So uh, we moved to Southern California. That was a big culture shock for me. Uh, It was a bigger culture shock than when I moved to the South, actually. Um, Sort of in my transformative years, seventh to eighth grade gap, we moved to Southern California. And that 
that really shook me in some ways. Uh, I got into some new opportunities around, uh, you know, playing water polo is something I, I landed on and 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 did my best at. Um, but met some great friends in Southern California, and over time it grew to be one of my favorite places. Um, I met my wife in college, um, kind of fast forwarding. And we were living in Northern California again at the time. I'd moved back up. I attended Chico State uh, for my university. And uh, she and I got married. We moved back to Southern California. And this was in uh, like 06, 07. They were giving away mortgages like candy to kids like us. Like, here's a million dollars, kids. You know, buy your, buy your home, buy your first home. And uh, I'm sort of a... I, I'm something of a futurist and a macro strategist, if I can be, at least a, an aspiring uh, macro strategist. And it just, it didn't pencil out for us. It, it just didn't make sense. So we looked at where else we might be able to raise a family one day. And it was either back to Northern California, which we had done, and or uh, near Nashville, Tennessee, where my in-laws live. And so I Googled best company to work for in Nashville, knowing very little about the landscape or the business climate. And I found a company called Emma, which does email marketing or did email marketing uh, for small and mid-sized businesses. They've since been acquired and uh, we moved out here and yeah, maybe, maybe it's longer than 15 years now that yeah. I do the math in my head, but something like that. Yes, that that's interesting. Our different journeys of how we arrived in in similar locations. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you started. You go from Emma, which is a a software email marketing platform, to getting into healthcare, uh, and then I, I really want to go into the journey of how you arrived at the mental health marketing conference that you put on, because I think that's an area that's that's near and dear to me. It's what I have my master's degree in. And I think it's certainly something that um, merges those worlds. You know, the, the subtitle of our podcast here is the intersection of technology, psychology, and spirituality. And so I'm, I'm really interested in hearing about the mental health marketing conference. But before we get to that, I'd love to hear, okay, so you landed here. Where? What was that journey from Emma to the healthcare sector to your own kind of uh, epiphany, which I want to hear about, and then getting into the mental health marketing? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm excited about that topic too. And after uh, we had a recent coffee together, uh, you know, this this concept of pursuing a master's in industrial and organizational psychology has really taken hold in my mind. So I want to talk with you more about that either here or, or offline. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I was at Emma four plus years and that was a, a growing company, incredibly smart people. I mean, just yesterday on LinkedIn, which is my platform, I was talking about the concept of creativity and I tagged some people who came to mind and you know there was a there was a gal there Suzanne Norman who's just a phenomenal copywriter just amazing powerful words uh that encourage people to do things and I, she's got that gift and so I tagged her as one of those people um, but anyway it's it's easy to find healthcare related work uh administrative work in in Nashville so um you know I I tried to stay in the SaaS uh based 
realm for a little while. I worked for an awesome company and awesome people, uh, Provider Trust, Chris and, and Mike over at Provider Trust, and they are just growing like wildfire wild too, which is awesome. And, uh, and also when I was at Emma, I was selling a product that was a private labeled platform where a, a marketing firm or an ad agency could resell the software platform to their own clients and do right. a mark a markup and, and brand the platform. And, and that was that was pretty neat at the time. Um, and I loved working in the platform, but I found an affinity toward uh, myself and the principles of creative marketing and design firms. And that was sort of an awakening for me, a little eye-opening experience like okay I, this is something that i really enjoy something about the way i think aligns with something about the way they think and we can have these conversations and and we sold a lot of that software for good reason it was a great platform and so uh, i did try to dip my toe into uh professionally into some work at a creative agency where i could and it, it took a few starts and stops uh, i'm typically on the sales and marketing side of things uh, for my work day to day. And so I, I really found some traction at an agency in Indiana called 10 Adams, and they were looking to uh, move into the Southeast a little bit. They were looking to attract some bigger health systems because they, they did healthcare marketing. And so I really uh, was part of the growth um, success there for a couple years while we um, refined the pipeline. We expanded um, some larger, you know, annual recurring revenue uh, for clients and things of that nature. So uh, then I got a call from a, a Nashville-based healthcare marketing agency, and there are a number of great ones there. A really great one is Revive, I think, and they they do work with health systems and, and health tech and other companies in the healthcare space. And so uh, they were at a very specific moment in time where they needed the growth another growth person to add to the team. And so that was me and, uh, and we had success there and, and that's fun. You know, that's, that's um, rewarding. Um, generally speaking with, with agencies, uh, you know, it's not always a super scalable business. You know, you can't have thousands and thousands of clients like you can have with, with an Emma type SaaS based platform, for example, or software. Uh, so that's something to be, uh, to consider and so, um, you know, about that time, like it's, it was, a it's sort of a, it's sort of a wandering journey really in my career to that point, um, trying new things and realizing something about myself and really not knowing myself is probably part of that, um, mm. part of that dynamic, um, quite honestly. And so I turned 40 and I went to a monastery sort of. Uh, to mark this milestone in my life and also try to figure some things out. So the plan was to do some really in intentional writing and reading over a few days, get away from um, any distraction. It's total silence there. It's it's up in Kentucky, a place called the Abbey of Gethsemane. And so that's what I did for a few days and um, made some mistakes there too. You know, like I was driving up and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm kind of unprepared for this. Like I, I didn't grow up in high church and I don't know what's going on. And so I called my friend who's a Greek Orthodox and he's liturgical. And, and I said, 
Jay, what do I, what am I getting myself into and what should I do? And he said in his wise ways, just don't be afraid to fall asleep. And so I took those words and, and kind of laughed and thought about it. And then you lose cell phone service, which is a beautiful aspect of the silence. So you can't, you can't like sneak in text messaging. You're gone, you're out of the world. And so I went there that night and I, I had the bean soup and, and I laid in the, the plain bed. And but I was I was initially going to launch right into this productive work session and writing session. And I did just fall into the deepest coma of a sleep. And I didn't wake up until two or three in the morning, um, a little bit disoriented on my on my rhythm, my normal cadence. And that was exactly what should have happened. So it led me into a, a free flowing sort of experience where I also realized I was trying to to do monastery or when monastery, um, like a like a class, classic Westerner would. And I realized I need to undo monastery. So um, I went for a walk, this sculpture walk along the way outside the property grounds. And the long story short is that I came across a, a situation, basically a deer stuck in the brambles. And I saw myself be afraid of that situation. And then I I had the the inkling of a thought in that moment to move toward that situation. And as I did in my own clumsy ways, um, the the animal freed itself. Uh, but there was something like mythological about that moment, something spiritual about that moment. And I came away with a message of uh, help people in need was something that in my life was a missing sort of slice of the pie in the pie chart of a of a full life. And so, uh, you know, I had to come back and think about what that meant. And again, I did it in clumsy ways where I would just see a broken down car and I would stop and fill up their gas or help them instead of pass them by. And then I, I realized uh, to kind of wrap up this, this idea and this story is that I... I needed to help somebody specific, and that was me. Um, and so under the guise of career guidance, I went to a licensed clinical professional in uh, the Brentwood, Tennessee area near Nashville. And we started into that question and then quickly got into the hard yards and the real work of, uh, you know, things like shame and things like, um, you know, the lies you're telling yourself, speaking for myself, and some, you know, some really hard work uh, that I think led to some fruit later on. That's awesome. If you don't mind, you you mentioned self awareness and knowing yourself. What was the catalyst for that? Uh, my experience, for those who have listened to the podcast or have heard my TED talk, was a crash and burn, and what was usually, you know, you, you said that milestone was 40, you went to a monastery, you had a transformative experience. Is there more to the story there? Or was it just that was your own interest and personal journey and it just evolved? Was, was there anything that, that was outside of your um, control that either happened or you participated in that really led you to this deeper self-awareness? Mm. Yeah, I, I have to say, I think that was um, 
that there was that moment on the bench when I saw the deer. And I think that was a God moment for sure. That was outside of myself and tapping into something, something bigger than myself and also something deep within myself. So it was this, um, it's almost this symbol of, from the inside, it's a symbol of the, the unconscious Steve that had been repressed and that Steve himself was repressing. And yeah. so, um, you know, well, when well, I, let's camp there for a minute, if you don't mind, like repression in, in highly performing males is a common thing. That's what so many of our cultures and upbringings is really drives us toward. Talk about that a little bit. What, what, what specifically from a repression standpoint was that awareness, that revelation, that epiphany for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the, this is the conversation I was hoping we were going to have. You never quite know. <laughs> and, and I'm loving this, these questions and they've got me thinking. So, you know, when I was growing up the whole, I, I came to Southern California, did the water polo thing and actually did really well, like played in the junior Olympics and, and won all the awards. And that was in high school. Uh, but it wasn't my nature to do that. Um, you know, and I ran into sort of a fixed mindset concept when I got cut from a traveling soccer team, um, even though that was really one of my passions was soccer. And so I landed in water polo as a sort of a backup. Um, and I did really well. But at the end of it, uh, end of those four years in high school, I just got so burned out, so burned out because it just didn't align with my my nature and myself and who I was. Um, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. But beyond that, it was also just not of interest to me. So, um, you know, I, I make the same kinds of mistakes in the same ways in different places. And I try to try to learn from those mistakes. So I also um, there was also a fork in the road early in my career when I could have gone sort of an operations uh, strategy kind of way, or I could have gone a sales sort of path. And growing up, somebody, well, not to generalize it, I grew up with sort of limited means. And I thought, hey, that's great. You know, sales is a great way to, to make money and pursued that path. And there's something to your question about uh, the repression of, of the male and the repression of ourselves that has really come out with this question and conversation lately that I've been having with people around creativity and what does creativity mean to you? Because it's such a, a big, broad topic. And um, so to leap forward for a moment from that, from that singular moment, it took me going to this counselor to realize that I don't know. I didn't know myself, really. I was blind to myself, which is an amazing thing to say for a 40 year old, uh, because you're you're not in the morning of your lifetime, but you still don't know who you are. And and that's OK. But, you, you know, you really need to put the time into that. So, um, you know, he he gave me some suggestions and basically he shifted me off of what I would call the competitive path, which was a very force a forced forcing um kind of you know 
kind of a sludge of a walk, really, um, despite some successes I've had, it just didn't fully align with who I was uh, inherently. And then to kind of figuratively walk back down that competitive path to that fork in the road where I made the decision to pursue. I mean, it could just come down to money over love and, and, you know, it could be as simple as that. And then to turn and go toward what I call the creative path. And that is what I would consider as deep. I mean, it's, it's in, this is in real time, but it's deeply connected to uh, the superpower, the superpower conversation, which to, in my mind means what are you doing that you have um, innate ability uh, or special gifts or special skills? And how are you using that power for good to help other people? Mm. And so when I ask that question, the superpower question, um, people do one of three things. They either say, oh, I don't know. Or they say, I don't have one. I really know myself and I don't have one. Or they'd make some kind of joke to uh, kind of play it off. And then if you keep listening, then they get into the second answer, which is almost always very close to the truth of, of who they are and what they do well. But there's that first layer of suppression. And um, I was I was reading Jung on the on the airplane last night, uh, and I'm a big fan of Carl Jung. And, you know, one thing he's saying about repression is that even in even in the 1930s, he was noticing this, that there is a there is this fear that we have that if we let our subconscious or unconscious uh, come to the surface and and tell us what it has to say, that we would find this terrible monster uh, and it would it would destroy us. And so we we push it down and we push it down the way that a surfer would try to push a surfboard straight down. And that is a good way to get the nose of the surfboard right in your face. Um, but that's our strategy or that's a strategy I had used and it wasn't working. Yes. And the more you work at it, the more dangerous it gets. Instead of saying that in modern society with the technology efficiencies that we have and the industrial efficiencies that we have, we actually have an opportunity to, to allow the tools to do very efficient work. And, and we're sort of coming to, I think coming to this point in time where we can finally activate um, and kind of elevate to a, uh, a place where we can more freely allow our unconscious and our creative powers to, to take hold and take root because um, in it's hard because in many cases, you know, a lot of people don't have those freedoms and I didn't have those freedoms growing up, you know, so I can, I can empathize and I can relate relate with social determinants of health. For example, those things in your, or life that, that might be a, a barrier to you growing that aren't your, you know, aren't your fault, um, let's say. And, and so I can see both sides and I can always see both sides. That's one of my things. So that's a great superpower, it, by the way. <laughs> it is. It's it has it's it's a superpower. And every power 
comes with sort of a kryptonite. So it can, you know, or as my friend Jared says, every mountain has a shadow. So that's important to know. Um, But that's why I'm a connector. So when you read my bio, you know, I'm a connector. I'm typically just like the plumbing or the hub or the internet between two other people or two organizations that really need to get to know each other. And I love doing that. And then I love content creation, which to me is writing. I can do other things too. I've thought about starting a podcast and I think that would be a delightful thing to do. And I've been on a couple now and I've I've just loved the experience. Um, but mostly I, ex- I express that through writing. And um, yeah. so, yeah. So well, one of my favorite young quotes, you alluded to it, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will control our lives and we will call it fate. I love that statement because what you're saying is one of the causes of depression in our lives uh, and especially in males but also in females you know the word itself is means push down like when you say there's a depression on that piece of wood or there's mm. a depression on my leg what is that it means something is pressed in and there's like something has pressed down and so when you are depressed it is a result of pushing something down or not re, you know repressing things and i think that's really interesting because i know in my own life steve it it, it is a matter of making these unconscious things conscious rather than taking the easy way out and saying oh that's just the way i am or a fixed mindset and said that's that's as far as i'll go versus really having the 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 courage to uncover and go deep there so kudos for you and 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 i'm glad you're able to do that so that that opened up some doorways for you uh going to therapy having that epiphany at the monastery and then uh, then you 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 came across this mental health marketing conference. Is that correct? Yes, that's exactly right. I had been seeing this conference and the founder, Austin Harrison, had done a great job of, of getting it in front of my eyes and a lot of other people. And uh, he had started it uh, at the time. He had started it four or five years prior because of some relationships that he had that brought his, and I use this word respectfully, but just his, his ignorance about mental health uh, and, and, and the need to know a lot more about mental health and those dynamics. And I'll sort of leave his story to tell for him because he does it best. Um, but I, yeah, I was in the same place, like sort of a, a fumbling around about what is mental health? What is that? What is mental el- illness? What does it mean? So we, he and I were having coffee and we were talking about different, uh, you know, kind of professional ideas or conversations. And um, along the way, we got to talking about his conference and, you know, I said, how's that going? And, and now I know in retrospect that running a conference is a lot of work and, uh, he had, I think, a new a baby on the way or a, ch- a new child in the world and uh, and other things. And it was just felt like a just pushing the boulder up the hill by himself, which is incredible that he's gotten it to that point. And so I said, how can I help? And 
I had had some experience uh, booking sponsors for Revive for this summit, this annual summit that they do. And I had booked speakers for some of the professional associations uh, in, in Nashville. And so it made it made a lot of sense from that aspect. And then it made a lot of sense from this new exploration I had been doing with my own psychology and um, and my own mental health. And those passions overlapped with my third circle, which was marketing. So um, between all of that, it just it was a perfect fit. And uh, so we we ran the conference together in, in 2019. And I learned a lot that year. We grew it uh, that year a little bit, but we learned a lot. And then 2020 came and we had to pivot to a virtual conference, which uh, grew significantly our, our, our audience. And 2021, we postponed because COVID sort of reared its head at the wrong time while we were trying to forecast how this conference was going to go. And that was a valley for us and me. And we had to kind of walk through that um, that unknown, you know, that that dark sort of swamp that you're in sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so to see the 2022 conference be embraced with more excitement than ever, it's such a relief. And one day I would love this conference to be totally irrelevant. Nobody needs to know more about mental health, but it's just not that way yet. Yeah. So tell me about the mental health marketing conference. What, what is it? Who is it for? And what are the things that you're most excited about this year? Mm. So it is, it is evolving. It started as a real specific event for mental health professionals, mostly clinicians who, for the most part, don't get that kind of education in school or aren't interested in being great marketers. They want to help people and marketing is an afterthought. So there are lots of tools and strategies and and other resources that people can tap into to sort of do the basic table stakes that are required for marketing but then you can really get good with consumer marketing and and it's important that mental health professionals i think share their voice out into the into the world and the community because they are the experts so it's great to have expert voices out there in the consumer world um it's evolved as the industry has evolved so now there are marketing agencies that focus specifically on mental health and behavioral health, and they are attracted to this conference. Um, we have technology companies that are trying to solve for mental health access because that's another big challenge beyond awareness is, is how can we get it so everybody can receive it? And that's a, that's a pendulum swing between supply and demand in a couple respects. So, uh, you know, technology companies and I, you know, there's a little bit of skepticism about that, quite honestly, from, I think, the broader industry about is this going to be is this going to be something that really works? And this is this is there's just some skepticism, which is I have kind of an open hand curiosity with. I haven't picked a side there because you do want quality care. And at the same time, we need to reach everybody and a little bit might go a long way for somebody um, that hasn't been able to access it before. So there's also uh, private equity that's coming into the market. So this has typically been kind of a mom and pop, 
you know, you hang your shingle out as a as a prof- mental health professional or a psychologist or uh, whatever, and you you uh, just start practicing, you know, and it, you can fill your books up that way. Um, but now there are some organizations, as they've done in other healthcare sectors. I mean, I saw it with ophthalmology recently. You see it with chiropractor. You see it with dentistry. These other mom and pop setups where. The private equity folks say you can run things a lot more efficiently and maybe we can divide and conquer and, and make more better work together. And there's some skepticism there as well. We welcome all of that. We welcome the, the tension and the dialogue. And it's um, so what, who we attract are still mental health professionals. Um, we attract the largest and, and mid-sized mental health companies out there that have their own dedicated marketing teams. And uh, those are marketing professionals that we bring some real 301 kind of education to, in addition to the 101 classes that we offer. Uh, Health systems and hospitals are realizing that they have siloed and left out in the cold, the mental health and behavioral health aspects of healthcare. And they're bringing that into the fold. And I celebrate that. And, And they don't quite still know what to do with mental health in some cases. And I applaud that um, kind of awareness because that's the progress forward that we can make. Um, The big national associations come to the conference, uh, which is always fun to see. Uh, We do have a a COO from Mental Health America of the Mid-South. Jackie Kavnar is presenting with David Bohan from uh, an agency called Bohan in Nashville. Um, I'm really excited about our agenda generally. I think it's such a strong lineup and people are going to come away after two days, maybe with their brain full, which is okay. We can process those thoughts later and we'll have recordings so you can go back and visit. Um, We're having a fireside chat with the global head of mental health from YouTube, Jessica DeVento. Uh, Dr. DeVento is... um, a wonderful resource. I've talked to her on the phone as we've prepped questions for this conference, um, kind of closing conversation. And she is just a wealth of information. And um, she's going to be talking with Eric Ewers, who's the, uh, he's an editor of and director of the, um, the Hiding in Plain Sight documentary on PBS. It's a, it's a Ken Mm -hmm. Burns documentary about um, youth and, and child mental health and illness. So there's lots to be excited about, um, and it's a growing community. This will certainly be our biggest um, event yet, although people wait to the last minute to buy tickets, and uh, and that's fine. Now I now I know people do that, so I can anticipate it. Yeah, that's great. And tell us the dates again for that. It's November 15th and 16th, which is a Tuesday and Wednesday, and it is two full days, so if anybody's interested, I would say two things. I'd say think about coming in Monday night and maybe leaving Thursday morning uh, just so you don't miss out on on the agenda. And then two, I would say do buy a ticket if you want the in-person experience, buy a ticket early because there is a there is a limit um, to the number of people that we can host at this venue sort of coming out of that valley in 2021 and the postponement, we said, how can we continue to to grow this oak tree and not kill it? So it's a very long-term, long game. 
there's no click funnel down to, you know, we're not, we're not like optimizing the transactions on all this stuff. We, we want to build this community and provide it. And so I was thinking about venues and one of our sponsors from an agency called design room, uh, Kelly Farrell said, have you looked at the Riverside revival venue in Nashville? And it can hold maybe 350, 400 people in person. And I hadn't heard of it. Um, it's from, it's it's owned by the Bodecker Foundation, and George Bodecker is the gentleman who started Crocs, the shoe company. Mm. And he purchased this old church, and he's going to turn it into a premier Nashville music venue. And right now, they're letting nonprofits and other organizations use it um, at a great rate. Uh, they're doing weddings and things like that. So, and it's beautiful. Um, the uh, Deborah Martinez is the, our point of contact there, and she's also an interior designer, and she's a, it's amazing. So wow. it's, it was the perfect it was the perfect bridge to us coming out of sure. the most complex portions of COVID that we had seen into hopefully a brighter future. And um, it was the right spot for us. But don't delay to get a ticket. But if you do delay and you do, you and you get the you miss out on the in-person, we do have the digital experience for, it's just $89 and you can access all the same content. Can you tell people the the website, Steve? Yes. It's M as in mental, H as in health, marketing.org. So again, that's mhmarketing.org. That's awesome. Well, Steve, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for being vulnerable. I appreciate what you're doing with the conference. I'm excited. I'll, I'll probably show up there myself because you've 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 done a good job selling it today. So uh, thanks again. And are there any any closing words you'd like to leave with our listeners in the context of the conference, your own journey, anything like that? Mm. I would say. Thanks for having me on, for starters. Uh, I really enjoyed this. And I feel like I talked a lot this time. So um, in comparison to our coffee chat, I I would love to talk with you again and talk more. Um, uh, So I learn a lot from you. So thanks for doing this um, podcast and for having me on. Um, You know, I I would say just to, to, to close, man, it's so it's so simple. It's kind of like uh, Dostoevsky's The Idiot, but it's like know, know yourself was is kind of the heart of um, of some of the, the work that I've been doing over the past few years. And uh, don't underestimate yourself. I think there's a lot in there. Um, partially, that is what we press down, like we talked about. Um, some of it is simply petrified wood that we've, you know, the, the word petrified is interesting. It can be afraid and it can be frozen. And either way, you know, how can we melt that and and breathe life and flow mm-hmm. into that in our lives um, and and keep keep walking down that that work. Yeah. So that's that's what I would leave, I guess, anybody with. And the way for me was was to get some help from a professional. It doesn't have to be that way, but it certainly is. Um, not something to be afraid of if if you're thinking about that. Well, those are perfect closing words, Steve. I really appreciate it. And thanks for your time. Thank you for what you're doing with the Mental Health Conference. I encourage everyone to go check it out. We'll put links to it in the show notes. So till next time, Steve, we'll talk to you. <laughs>